StreamYard provides easy live streaming and recording, allowing you to stream to multiple online platforms all at one time. Whether you're a creator, a content marketer, business, or just someone with something to say, StreamYard is the way to spread your message and engage with your audience. You can host virtual events, grow your business, inspire your followers, and create a movement. Try StreamYard today for free by clicking on the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Communication 24-7 podcast, where we communicate about how we communicate. I'm your host, Jennifer Furlong. Whenever we talk about the different channels through which we communicate, you know, we talk about nonverbals. And of course, we talk about words and how the words we choose to use are, of course, very important, whether we're in a conversation or we're doing a public speech, you know, a presentation, whatever it is, a podcast like this one. But a huge part of the delivery of the words is it's not just what we say, but it is how we say it. So I wanted to bring in an expert to talk to us about that vocal production. Yes, I have Susan Murphy with me. I'm going to do an intro. Susan, she is a vocal coach for TV reporters as well as anchors. And she's been in the broadcast industry for over 40 years. So she knows what she is talking about. So listen up. She's been a radio news director, a television news reporter, and a, quote, weather girl, Mm -hmm. back when we used to call them that, Mm -hmm. right? She's been a talk show host, a producer for radio, a public television producer, an on-air personality, a college dean, and an instructor, a voiceover artist, which is something else that I want to pick her brain about, and now a broadcast voice coach. Mm -hmm. Welcome, 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 Susan. So happy to have you. It's delightful to be here, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on the show. I love to talk about what I do and to pass along some great tips and strategies for anyone who's looking to sort of up their vocal game. Okay, so I will now practice my non-regional diction. No, no, no. no, no. You're fine. You're fine. No, no. See, I, I, I do sometimes make hosts very aware of how they speak. That lasts right. for like less than 30 seconds and then you'll become you again and you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. is the point, right? And, um, you know, that's going to bring me to my first question. How did you get into the industry and how did you make the decision to specifically focus on the vocal coaching aspect of it? So how did I become a voice coach for anchors and reporters? That was something that I actually only, well, no, it's been in the back of my head for a long time, but it was last summer when I was thinking about starting this service, this business, and I was talking with a friend over lunch and she was thinking of starting a business, but in a different area. And we were just trying to give each other some courage to do it. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know, one of the things I heard was that if you want to do this, you really have to have a very strong point of view about something. Oh, well, that light bulb went off. I have a very strong point of view about how I believe anchors and reporters and most people in general should use their authentic voices as a way of communicating effectively. Mm. So I came up with some rough ideas, ran them past a news director friend of mine, who thought it was a good idea. He said, yeah, I can think of a lot of people who would use this. He sent me some reporters to work with. I did it for free and he did a recommendation. And in the last year, I've had about 60 clients who come to me either on their own or through news directors um, where I work to build a more authentic voice and delivery and presence on air. And sometimes in life, too. For some people, it's not just an on-air thing. It's a life thing. We can get into that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be one of the things that I would like to focus on throughout this conversation. So you've been in the industry for over 40 years. 
What was your experience before you got into the television and, and radio industry? Um, did you have any formal training to get into it, or was it just it? It just so happened that you got lucky with a position that was open at the local, you know, weather station. How how did that start for you? It started when I was fourteen, and I did my first radio commercial, and they paid me to talk. <laughs> and I thought, this is cool. All right, we can do this. So I was a communications major in college at Temple University, graduating in the late 70s, standing on the shoulders of the original wave of early women broadcasters, such as Jane Pauley, such as Barbara Walters. And at the time, TV stations were clamoring for to add women to their staffs. So finding a job on television in the late 70s with a communications degree was not hard. Mm. Um, my my resume reel was average for a college student, but I did get my first job in West Palm Beach, Florida, stayed about a year and decided I really hated, hated television because all they cared about was how your hair looked. But that is where I got to be a <laughs> weather girl for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, that was a hoot and a half. Now, of course, you can't do that because you need a meteorological degree and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I went back to radio, which is my first love, and came up through news radio, which again is my first love. And it's it's you know it has wended its way through there. I like to say you can't shoot at a moving target. So I've always been open to new ideas. I've always been open to cobbling together mm -hmm. um, different jobs, which is kind of how I've made my way through the industry and how I've managed to work with a lot of people and discover a lot of things and see where my strengths are. Um, mm -hmm. And now what I do is I just pass along everything I've learned through broadcast, but also through taking singing lessons. I did that about 25 years ago. I was cast in a show. I love to do regional theater. I'd lived on Long Island at the time and was cast in Footloose as one oh, of the mothers. And the mothers have a duet. And I'm great in the chorus and sure, throw me some lines. Yeah. Wait, you want me to sing a duet? And you want it to be the alto part. I'm not even singing the melody. Okay. So I quick found a, a wonderful voice teacher from whom I learned so much that I also blend into what I teach broadcasters because what I've learned as a singer blends so well with what broadcasters can do because we are performers to some degree, mm -hmm. but there's a very fine balance between performance and authenticity, between mm -hmm. performance and storytelling, between performance and connecting to your audience. So all of that combined with, I also teach some broadcast writing skills, which mm -hmm. augment the voice skills. That's what works to elevate a reporter's voice and then therefore gets him or her into her next bigger job. I really appreciate that you said that regarding the blending of the experiences with what you've experienced on stage into what you understand about what makes effective communication, right? Um, right. Being able to be yourself, but in a way, we're a more polished version of ourselves. Because I, I know from personal experience, having worked with different colleges, teaching communication classes in different colleges, sometimes you'll have somebody come in to teach a public speaking class, for example, and their entire background is in theater. and it, which is great because, like you said, there is a bit of a performance aspect mm -hmm. of that. Um, so not to take away from anybody who has a pure theater performance background. But for me, coming from a communication background, you know, I was also a major in communication. My concern has always been, okay, let's blend the two because, yes, there is an element of performance to this. We do want to polish it. However... The message is what's the most important thing. So let's make sure that we can deliver the message in a way that the audience is going to be able to understand and appreciate it, you know, all of those things. Sure. Doesn't basic, doesn't basic communication, basic rhetoric teach you mm -hmm. that between communicator and communicatee 
if there is a problem, if there is a disconnect, it's on the communicator's side. Mm-hmm. It's not usually on the communicatee side. Yeah, yeah. And and sometimes I do feel if you take too much of the performance aspect of it, you know, I'm going to deliver this speech at the audience versus I have something important to say, I'm going to deliver my presentation. And at the same time, I'm going to pay attention to the audience. Because if I'm saying something that they're not getting, I need to pay attention to that feedback so that maybe I can make some adjustments, you know, take a step back. Right. And so I think that sometimes is the element that could be missing. So I so appreciate that you are blending mm-hmm. your experiences with theater and communication and, you know, the the whole thing. Um, one of the things that we talked about before we actually started the recording today was how the media space itself is just becoming so augmented with other types of media, you know, for example, this podcast. So there are what, how many millions of podcasts in existence now, you know, hundreds of thousands of them, right? Four million, I think I read recently. Yeah, it's it's just uh, an incredible amount of podcasts. Now that's not to say that all of them are active at the moment. I did hear, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they said something about, um, the actual number of active podcasts out of all of the millions, the ones that have released an episode within the past six months. So you and I read the same article. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. 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 It's only what, like 400,000 or something like that. Right. Yeah. So um, do you think the delivery aspect of that. I I wanted to just, the reason I wanted to have this conversation about podcasting is so many people are wanting to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, and I know they're curious, you know, what is your opinion about the level of polish that needs to happen or should happen? You know, I just, I, since you've been in the radio industry and the television industry, what, what are your thoughts on this new space and whether or not there should be any level of polishing that happens for anyone who's interested in getting into it? Well, one of the beautiful things about podcasting is it's not broadcasting. It's not over airwaves that are uh, subject to government rules and regulations. It's not Um, an area where you are necessarily going to be paid. You can do this because you simply love it. You Mm -hmm. can do this because you simply have, going back to what I learned about, you know, you have a very strong point of view about something. So you're Mm going to host a podcast. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't take a whole lot now to set up a home studio. It's way easier. As a voice actor, we now compete with anybody who has a microphone in their house, more or less. Uh, So the playing, you know, that horrible expression, the playing field has evened out somewhat. That Mm -hmm. is very true Mm -hmm. with regard to people who want to broadly cast their points Mm -hmm. of view, broadly cast their conversations, broadly cast or share information or opinion. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't think that polish is necessary because they have all the other things that Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily have to pay attention to how their voice sounds or how quickly they're speaking or how they are interviewing a guest or how they are tangentially running off onto down various rabbit holes when you started with one particular sentence. So I appreciate that about podcasts and how it has allowed more people to become part of the conversation. Mm. But I'm someone who is very keen on listening to conversation and, and, and gaining something from it, learning something from it. But if I find it annoying, if I find it too quick, if I find it distracting, if I find it the audio is all off or it's distant or it's there are things going on in the background of that audio, mm-hmm. I can't listen. Mm-hmm. So um, that's not to say the average person can't. Maybe they can. Mm-hmm. But I'm sort of a big fan of doing the best you can with regard to putting your podcast together with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And um, I'm a big fan of when you're when you're 
giving a speech, you know, to really be very strong in your open and very strong in your close. So are those the things that I listen for? Sure. Have mm-hmm. I turned off podcasts because I've been distracted or don't care for the tone of voice? Sure. Mm, uh, we all absolutely. have, right? Yeah. But I don't, it's not a criteria anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. it is still on television and radio. When you work with the professionals in the field, you know, the actual broadcasters, the anchors, do you get into the realm of how to conduct an interview effectively? Because I know I, I'm a member of a whole bunch of different podcast groups and we all get together, you know, we're talking about what it is to be a podcaster and we like to dissect the most, you know, the the most popular podcasts and try to emulate, I guess, as best as we can, <laughs> you know, to, to have that little bit, you know, we just want a little bit of piece of that pie. Sure. But, you know, from the professional point of view, one question that constantly comes up in these groups that I'm in is how do I conduct an interview effectively? So is just from your experience working so closely, you know, with within the industry itself, do you get into that aspect of it as well? Or do you just strictly focus on the production of the vocals themselves? 85% of the time, it's the production mm-hmm. of the vocals mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. But we do occasionally get into interviewing skills. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm learning with young broadcasters coming out of programs and J schools and whatever mm-hmm. is that technologically, they're very good. Mm-hmm. And so they can put that microphone in front of people or use their iPhones or whatever to get mm-hmm. lots of conversation from people. And mm-hmm. The flip side of that is when I was a reporter 35 years ago, sometimes it was harder to get people to talk to you. People mistrusted the media or, well, people still mistrust the media. That's a whole yeah. other story. That's, <laughs> right. Okay. But, but people are more willing now to talk to you because they know that you're going to put them on TV or they're going to, you're going to put them in a podcast. So mm-hmm. they're more than willing to share with you. So in a sense, that has become easier But what I often like to talk to reporters about is making sure that the information they call from an interview is information that is put out to their audience in a way that they can easily understand it the first time they hear it. Mm. So I will advise when you're speaking with um, an engineer, a doctor, a scientist, sometimes a politician who just puts lots of fancy words around their answers my question is often, well, oh, okay, well, thank you for that. But um, if you were to answer that question for a group of sixth graders, you know, I think my audience would appreciate a simpler answer. So how would you answer that question for sixth graders? And then they'll do it again. A, you will understand it better and B, so will your audience. But the key to any good interview is listening. Mm-hmm. You can do all the research you want on the person who you're talking to. And in that research, you are going to uncover an awful lot and you're going to probably ask questions that they've been asked multiple times. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. But if you really listen to what their answers are, and then you can take it in a different direction. For example, uh, I was doing a radio show years and years and years, 30 years ago where I was interviewing, and I don't remember her name. She was on the Bob Newhart show back in the Mm. 80s. And we got to talking about her career. And she said that she had actually started out um, as a weather person at a TV station. And I believe it was in Minnesota or something. I said, oh, oh, so then we could talk about our experiences as weather casters, weather girls. And I that was a an area of conversation she probably doesn't have with a lot of people because she doesn't usually talk with other weather casters. So right. that was a fun little thing. Um, but Or sometimes even asking the offbeat question like, if you hadn't become a voice teacher, what would you have liked to have been? And that can right. start you mm-hmm. down a road. So it's listening. And then I think for me over the years, having a list of offbeat questions. Mm, mm. Because, you know, back in the day, 
when we didn't have the internet, you couldn't find everything out about a particular person. Now you can. So let's not stick with the obvious. Let's right. go to the unobvious. Yeah. The obscure. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what makes the conversations uh, so interesting to go down those, you know, little rabbit holes. And like you said, oh, you were, okay, you were in weather too. How cool is that? We have something mm-hmm. in common. So mm-hmm. let's explore that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's switch gears just for a bit because you are a vocal coach. So while I have you here, I do want to take advantage as much as I can to learn as much as I can from sure. you. I'm thinking about, because I know you work with professional broadcasters, but I would also like to be able to um, understand how to apply some of these lessons to anyone sure. who might potentially be in the, the podcasting space or anyone who is thinking about they would like to do a TED Talk or a TEDx mm-hmm. Talk, and they want to be able to have a more polished type of presentation. So take me to the basics. When you meet with someone for the very first time, what are some of the things that you are looking for? How do you determine what you need to focus on in order to help them become a more polished broadcaster or you know vocal artist? I will have seen some of their work as a reporter or an anchor, so I have an idea of what mm-hmm. I'm working with. You know, you had mentioned this as anybody who wants to get into some sort of professional speaking arena, but you know, mm-hmm. all these tips are for anybody who speaks. And that's yes. all of us. Yes. We communicate with bosses, we communicate with spouses, we communicate with children. Mm-hmm. So all these tips can benefit you in any arena in which you apply mm-hmm. them. So everyone I work with, I always start with breath work. Because the root or the seat of your most authentic voice starts with your breath. And it starts with where you are breathing from, which needs to be the bottom of your diaphragm. Babies are born doing that. Somewhere along the four, five, and six ages when we're walking and talking and learning to follow directions, we lose the ability to always breathe from our belly. We breathe from here, very shallow breath. Oh yeah, the air and oxygen get into our lungs and we oxygenate our blood and yeah, yeah, that all happens. But when we learn to speak authentically from our belly as often as we can, it always starts with breath work, which is a combination of yogic breathing. Anybody who's attended a yoga class knows a little bit about this. Plus Mm -hmm. what I've learned from singing coaches, and then what I've learned being behind a microphone all these years, little tips and tricks to, you know, help you extend breath or take half a breath or whatever. But the bottom line is breath and posture. So Mm -hmm. I start with breath and posture. But one really quick tip that I can give anybody and everybody for making sure You are breathing from the bottom of your diaphragm, has to do with a part of your body that has more to do with your voice than I had any idea. When I learned this 25 years ago, it was revelatory and mind-blowing. And that part of your body is your shoulders. Mm. Your shoulders have more to do with um, the quality of your voice than you know. So if I were to, if you take nothing away from this little example, think shoulders, lower them, drop them, make your shoulders heavy. Because where do we carry tension and stress? Mm. Hello. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yep. So when we're stressed here, it automatically goes into your uh, neck and up into your jaw to the muscles of your face. Pretty soon you're breathing very shallowly and the pitch of your voice is rising and you're not really using your diaphragm to breathe. And here's where we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. You lower your shoulders. And it sounds, it, mm-hmm. yeah. You can it, hear it immediately. A little desperate. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds desperate. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good word. I've never used that before. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm stealing that. Desperate. <laughs> Sounds desperate. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. We don't need to sound desperate. 
No. <laughs> so when we when we breathe in the air, and as speakers, it's in through our mouths and out through our mouths. We first of all we respirate more than the average person, so we always have to be drinking water. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you are speaking from your belly, taking in that that air, usually I would say to practice it, it's in on four and out on six. And the reason I do out on six is to make sure you are really, really, really exhaling all that air, something we almost never do in everyday Mm -hmm. life and conversation. That sends a signal to your brain for a broadcaster that you know how to exhale all that air. So your brain will not send you the signal that says, hey, you're running out of air here. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. Yogic breathing also activates your parasympathetic nervous system which runs alongside your regular nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system works to offset all the chemicals and hormones that are released throughout your body from your regular nervous system, such as cortisol and adrenaline, Mm -hmm. the things that make you nervous in front of a group, Mm -hmm. the things that make you lightheaded, the things that you can't focus. By breathing yogically in on four or Susan's version, in on four, out on six. For even two or three breaths, you bring clarity and focus to what you're doing. You lower your heart rate. You lower your blood pressure. And if you've done this correctly, the next time you take a breath and you go to speak, shoulders lowered, posture, there's more to this, Mm -hmm. but you're going to speak from your authentic place. Mm. And you're going to speak Boldly and intentionally, which is something we should all do way more often in in our conversations with everyone. Be intentional about what we're saying and how we say it. And when you're being intentional, you're often speaking much more slowly. You have an opportunity to choose better words. Mm-hmm. You have a you have a responsibility to pause. Two reasons. One, it allows you to take another breath and reset that beautiful, big, bold voice. And it also allows you, your brain, to move ahead, maybe into what your next sentence is going to be. But really, a pause is for me, the person you're speaking to. I need to understand, I need to digest what you just said. So a pause allows me to do that. If you're going to go a mile a minute about anything, my eyes will start to glaze over. Yes. Yes. Or if I'm just saying any words that come to my head without really doing it intentionally, I'm going to be hurtful. I'm going to say things I would will probably regret. So we can't all be perfect in this, but we can try. So speaking boldly, and intentionally, and using breathwork as the framework allows you to be a more confident speaker. Mm. It allows you to choose better words. It allows you to get your point across exactly the way you want it to get across so that the communicatee has no trouble learning from the communicator. And that in television, it's a two-dimensional, much like this screen is here on um in the podcast, it's two-dimensional, but it's still a conversation and you still need to connect with the people you're talking with or the the person you're interviewing. And then hopefully the people who are listening into that interview are also connecting. It seems like a lot. I mean, I always say to my Mm -hmm. clients, we're going to eat an elephant, but we're not going to eat it in one bite. (laughs) We're going to do this in little bits. So you start to um, develop layers of awareness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a very long diatribe, Jennifer. I apologize. <laughs> no, there there were so many things in there. I know that are so incredibly important as a speech teacher, just to be able to take in. One of the things that I talk about in the classroom is 
the breathing, right? The breath work that we can do to manage those nerves that will appear and should congratulations, appear. Congratulations, you're human. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think, if you get nervous at the thought of delivering a presentation in front of a group of people, or you get nervous at the thought of going into your boss's office because there is a difficult conversation that you need to have, that's normal to yeah. feel the butterflies, to feel that sense of anxiousness. But in listening to you describe also how your shoulder, because I've always focused on the breath work, but I've never thought to include just physically the yeah. shoulders mm -hmm. and how that has an impact on not only how you're feeling as a part of that ability to calm the system down just a little bit, but it also has that ability to affect the voice and how mm -hmm. it's being delivered. And mm -hmm. you can sound much more in control, control. even if you're not feeling in control mm -hmm. at the moment, yep. 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 You, yep. you're feeling nervous, but yep. just that awareness. And another thing that you said that I think is so important to point out to anyone who is interested in getting into this space and trying to apply these things that we're talking about. This is a work in progress. Always. It, it's not one thing. You're going to do this one thing. You're going to focus on your shoulders and make them heavy. You're going to do your breathing exercises and you're going to give yourself time to think about the sentence and pause. These are things that take time and practice and consistency. Mm -hmm. So don't put so much pressure on yourself mm -hmm. to think, well, I'm doing everything that they said. You know, Susan, I'm doing everything. <laughs> Give, yourself not... Give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Absolutely. So that's, that's another important thing that I, I think is a huge takeaway from, and don't call it a diatribe. Every... <laughs> Every second of what you just offered there is so important. One question that I have, and it comes up in the studies, is because you mentioned the workplace and how this can be an effective tool to use in the workplace. For women specifically, and I know you've read a lot of the studies that connect how women are viewed in the workplace oh, yeah. and it has, it's connected with vocal delivery, the, the pitch, you know, in the voice and how it impacts perceptions of whether mm -hmm. or not you are confident, you know, in control versus someone who is overbearing and, you know, that whole yep. situation of women in the workplace and how we use our voice in yep. a professional sense, what are your thoughts on that? What Ooh, do we have I can, I can tell from you. I know, right? So I can tell from your body language and your eyes lit up. <laughs> so, uh -huh. One of my favorite things. Yeah. What do you say to the women you work with in this area? And I work with, it's probably 75% women, 25% men. Mm. Okay. And the women come to me because they don't believe they are in control of the pitch of their voice. They don't think mm. they're in control mm. of their breath. Got that. Easily we can work on that. However, what I have learned about this, and this will apply to women in the workplace because, hey, a, a TV or radio station is a workplace. Let's go back to your childhood. Mm. Let's go back to when you were a girl. And the kind of house you grew up in and the kind of people you grew up with and the kind of expectations that you grew up with. Mm -hmm. And that can be a variety of things where women particularly have developed a voice that either gets them what they need, gets them what they want, or gets them through a dysfunctional family, a domineering mm -hmm. father. Um, as you move into teenage years, uh, how you how you communicate with your friends, how you communicate with potential dates, and a voice you develop to attract them or repel them, I don't know, but all the voice 
tones that we use because of expectations get folded into our college years and then suddenly we're in the workforce. And what I have found is that many women do not use their authentic voice. It, they never speak in those lower, most of them are lower, pleasant tones because they weren't expected to. I just heard a really interesting podcast about how we travel in three spaces. One space is our expertise, and we can address imposter syndrome to that. But our expertise is one space. Our body is our second space. And when you think about what women are expected to do, we just look at fashion. We're expected to take up less space. We're expected to be feminine. We're expected to be small. We're expected to be little. Mm. And then there's our voice. That's the third space. Well, we should be, we shouldn't, we shouldn't sound too bold. We shouldn't raise our voices because then you're going to sound aggressive. There's a difference between assertive and aggressive. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So what What I teach women to do is to access their natural tones from the bottom of their diaphragm to use not only on air, but for many women, they use it in the newsroom or in their lives or in their communication with everybody. And I have had women come back to me with tears in their eyes and have said how healing it is Mm. to be able to speak as their bodies will allow them to. When we think of higher, breathy, lighter tones, think about a siren. Think about anything that's associated with danger. It's a high, shrill tone, right? Right. When you think about a lower tone, that's something we trust. It's something that calms us. It's something that we believe in. Women just, and, and I'm not saying we were told point blank to speak X, It just is how it happened. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's what we did to survive our childhoods. Some of us, not everybody. Mm -hmm. So I really do suggest to women to go back and, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but go back and unpack Mm -hmm. a little bit of your childhood and your relationships to people in authority. Mm -hmm. Now in your business, if you're not in authority, your expertise has at least made you a guide. You mm-hmm. have expertise that you share with people. Do it in a way that complements you, you the best. Mm-hmm. We all have those voices. Sometimes in working with my men clients, they develop an uber low tone because they think that's what anchors should sound like. Right. Uh, the baritone. No. Right. <laughs> No. So for some, it's it's almost raising their pitch. Um, mm-hmm. I've often worked with sports people going into news, and that's a that's just a whole mindset change and a vocal right. change as well. And in a way, it takes the stress off them. Mm-hmm. They they mm-hmm. are they just oh wow thanks you know I don't have to do this mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. every it, the, an authentic voice brings out your confidence. It brings out the best in you. Hiding behind a voice that's too shrill or high or breathy, thank you, Kardashian girls, Right, (laughs) doesn't doesn't really help you in the works. Whether we like it or not, people are going to judge us by how we sound. If the eyes are the windows to your soul, your mouth and your voice are the front door. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. You know, I have, yeah, I've, I've had a similar conversation in the classroom and, and and even outside of the classroom, just with women in general about the unfairness of being judged by your voice in a professional setting. It's the reality. We all do it. It, We do, we do it to the men as well. When you think about it, we do depending on you see a man and when they open their mouth, you have a certain expectation. And if they don't meet that expectation, we know immediately there's some judgment (laughs) that is happening. But I I wanted to ask that question specifically for women in the workspace, because I know it is a challenge that many of us face and it can be very disheartening 
when you don't know how to get to that optimum, you know, speaking voice, because we listen to people talk about what is that optimum pitch? Like, where should I start? Because I could start anywhere, right? Or I could start lower. Or So how how would I be able to find where is that optimum sure. pitch? And it's it's all in the breath work. My advice to everyone who is really serious about um, delving into that authentic voice. Mm-hmm. Once I teach you the breath work, which is posture and breathing in in on four, out on six, whatever, I want you to take four post-it notes and you're going to write on them breath. And then one mm-hmm. goes on your steering wheel, one on your computer, one on your bathroom mirror, one on your refrigerator. And every mm-hmm. time during a day you pass the post-it note, stop. Put yourself into, I would call it the zone. I would teach you how to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, align yourself for the zone and breathe for one minute. If it's in on four, out on six, that's six to seven breaths. That's all I'm asking mm-hmm. you to do. Mm-hmm. Take six or seven breaths and then go on about the rest of your day until the next time you pass a post-it note. If you do that consistently for two to three weeks, learning to access that breath, which is always at the bottom of your diaphragm. And so if you've practiced always breathing and speaking from the bottom of your diaphragm, it does become second nature. It's not Mm. something you will have to do forever. Some people may take a little longer than others. Um, I'll always start with a a young woman who really wants to improve the sound of her voice in general. I'll say, start with one person you speak with every day. Back Mm. when I taught college, I would say, and the girls, my mother. Okay, fine. (laughs) Every time you talk to your mother, I want you to be conscious of breathing through mm-hmm. through the belly and speaking from that bold and beautiful place. By the third time you do this, your mother is going to ask, what happened to you and what did you do with her? And that's the <laughs> ultimate compliment. So it it can it it becomes it becomes muscle memory because literally your mm-hmm. diaphragm is a muscle. And it, yes. it can become exercised to the point where you can put yourself in a zone like that and Mm -hmm. access the beautiful tones of your voice that every single one of us has. Every single one of us has. Okay. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again one more time. Communication is a skill, just like any other skill. (laughs) We have to work at it to get good at it. And it it takes time and it takes effort. And so if you're curious about, you know, what I just asked about the right pitch, listen to what Susan just said, it, you know, focus on that and just repeat it over and over again. I love the idea with the post-it notes. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Yeah, my singing teacher came up with that one. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's it's that physical reminder because we we do forget throughout the day. Um, we have Lorinda is joining us on LinkedIn. And she says, I need a new voice talking to funeral directors. And she follows up with, many have voices that are manipulators to me. I help families talk to them, um, even though they are grieving, but they need to get through. Okay, so they need help too. So I'm guessing um, that the question, you know, can a person get a new voice? This is an interesting question because I know Lorinda with working in the grief space and help and helping families with their grieving. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And to think about, this reminds me of what you said earlier, Susan, about when we think about growing up in the different aspects of the voice that we use in our families. And it made me think, mothers, when we try to calm down our babies. And I remember when I would hold, you know, my babies, I have a a son and a daughter, and they were just having that moment. And I would cuddle them and in low tones, it's okay. Yep. It'll be fine. You know, kind of like you were saying with the shrieking, that just makes everything that much Mm -hmm. worse. But then the focusing on low tones, less calm and all of that. Do you think there's something to that that would I guess, translate to the question that Lorenda is asking about adopting a certain type of voice in that, in that area that she works in, you know, working with funeral directors and families who are grieving. Adopting a different kind of voice. See, I, I don't, I hesitate to use the word different. 
Mm. I would mm. just simply use the word authentic. Okay. Okay. And I think everybody should use our authentic voices to whomever we're speaking with. But mm. when you're talking about speaking to grieving families or funeral directors, when nobody is, well, the funeral directors probably aren't scattered, but nobody mm -hmm. in the throes of grief is thinking clearly or, or rationally mm -hmm. sometimes. I think the, it's, it's almost um, how you would speak um, if you're an oncologist and you need to make mm -hmm. a patient understand some very mm -hmm. difficult information, mm -hmm. um, saying it, saying it with compassion, speaking mm -hmm. with empathy, speaking slowly, allowing the other person to react or to ask a question. Um, my husband died by suicide eight years ago. Mm. And coming out of that for months, when I spoke with bankers or financial people or other people, people in my life who were trying to help, it was almost as though I were four. You needed to tell me it mm. 900 times or mm. rephrase it another way. And I never was, I tried never to be by myself. There was always mm. somebody else there listening so that somebody else could explain it to me again, because you don't retain that information when you're in that kind of grieving space. So I just think the connection, mm -hmm. eye contact, um, making sure if a funeral director isn't glossing over or isn't running past whatever your ideas are, whatever you need from mm -hmm. him or her right at this moment. Mm -hmm. If you're advocating for a family to a funeral director, w we're really speaking from a very authentic, bold place where you are mm -hmm. not afraid of it and you are explaining what you need and you need it now. Right. kind of thing and you're not yeah. going to take no from an answer uh, for an answer. So um what a very special gift Lorinda must have mm -hmm. if she's helping mm -hmm. these people. But empathy and compassion and connection is also one of the mm -hmm. layers we all need to have with whomever we're speaking to. Um right. and it's it's clear that all of us can use more of it because information mm -hmm. and conversation and we can listen to a million podcasts a day and we can get mm -hmm. different points of view and we can watch all the CNN or Fox or C-SPAN we want to collect all the information we think we need. It's a lot. And we need time to process it. That's the kind of interesting thing that's happened over the last 50 years is that there's just so much more information um, right. that is now two-way. Didn't used to be two way. Used to be the funeral director told you what you were going to do, and you would do this, and you would be here, and here's how it's going to go. Uh, no, not yeah. so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have more agency in mm. our communications every which way to Sunday. So we need to make sure we use them appropriately and often. Um, that's wonderful because one of the things that, you know, she, she was asking was, you know, can a person get a new voice? And I think you answered that as you were talking, you know, not necessarily a new voice, but mm -mm. just tapping uncovering, into your, yeah, mm -hmm. uncovering mm -hmm. what's been there and you just didn't know it. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's um, what women have found so healing. They didn't know right. it was there. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she says, ma'am, I could write a book. And I bet you could, Lorinda, and you should. You should you write should. that book. <laughs> you know, yeah. Grief and dying is a, is a thing we hide behind, shy away from, we mm -hmm. turn away from. No, it needs to be front and center and we need books and we need podcasts and we need, we need mm -hmm. to make it part of mainstream uh, conversation. And I just want to take a moment, Susan, to recognize that you just shared something incredibly personal, something that it would be a nightmare uh, to have to live through that experience. You know? And wow, just the ability for you to want to share that with listeners. And, I don't and usually, stuff. that's mm -hmm. for sure, Jennifer. Yeah. It's the only time it's ever come up, but I think because mm -hmm. of what Lorinda does, it obviously right. struck a chord with me. Yeah. Um, 
So it's, but I also think too, you know, when you've lived 65 plus years that sometimes sharing doesn't, sharing seems easier. If this Mm -hmm. had happened to me, I was 57 when my husband died. If I had been 37, Mm. I probably would hide it. I would bury it. Mm -hmm. Not true now. Yeah, yeah. You see the value in that as you get older. Yeah, because there's so many people who are able to connect with that. You know, as you were telling that story, I can imagine there's somebody out there who will listen to this later on and they'll be able to get something out of that, something that's very comforting, you know, out of that. One of the things that you had mentioned, and again, it, it made me think of, of in a a variety of different situations, you had mentioned going into, um, you know, like the bank or when you're having to deal with anybody else and the types of voices that they would use when they were talking to you, almost as if, okay, I I need to be very careful with this individual. So I'm going to talk as if maybe I'm talking as if I'm talking to a child or, Mm. you know, um, did that, are there any lessons learned for others who may be in that position again? Is there anything that you would tell them that was not helpful or helpful in that moment for you as the person who was in that vulnerable position and how they were using their voices? I think everyone is different and everyone needs Mm -hmm. a different approach. Um, Mm -hmm. My financial advisor uh, just... He was just constantly strong and just kept moving and I'd be sobbing and he just, he verbally and I don't even know how to put it. He just never let go. He was just Mm -hmm. constantly moving. Whereas the bankers, they were women. Um, And I sent them flowers when I moved away because I could not have negotiated any of all of that 18 months later when I moved. But I appreciated their tenderness. I appreciated. Mm -hmm. They realized I was a deer in headlights. They realized they had to get past a whole bunch of pain before they could get me to understand how to close an account or or what this required now that my husband had passed. I mean, Mm -hmm. so, and every approach, no matter who it was, I took it and used it. I So Mm -hmm. I never said, oh, stop treating me like that. I never said, no, that's not what I want. Some people, I would hope that if that wasn't what you would wanted, that you would have spoken up. I never found that to be an issue, but I could see where it would be with some people. Yeah. You you yeah. got a kid gloves, eggshells, all those analogies. Yeah. It just may, makes me think of, you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in, in October of 2017. And so when you had mentioned, you know, the voice that an oncologist might use mm, when they're delivering bad news. And then Lorinda, you know, came in and talking about the voices that, you know, maybe she could use or the voice that she could use when she's dealing with funeral directors versus, you know, dealing with families. Um, you know, whether you need to go and in, in, if you're an HR director and uh, I had a fantastic conversation with another guest where she works with organizations, specifically managers how to uh, work more effectively with employees who have been diagnosed with cancer or some type of a, you know, uh, a terrible right. illness. And so it's just really interesting to think about in the work that you do, how it really does touch so many facets of our lives, not just professionally, but, but personally and just to tune into when you say your authentic voice, it's making me think that you could have, depending on the situation, depending on just being tuned into that other person and focusing on what their needs are at the time, that authentic voice, it could be different. It it could be a little more of that higher pitch, sing-songy, you know, I want to kind of take care of you right now because I'm feeling very motherly, you mm. know, in some instances and in other instances, maybe it could be the 
more assertive type of in control. This is how it needs to be done. Don't worry about this type of vocal delivery. I don't know. It's just kind of all of my synapses in the brain are firing off now, making all of these connections. And But it all comes from the same place. It all comes from real. And if you're not being real, you don't have to pay attention to the conversation that's coming at you. You can just keep on with your conversation. But if you're being real, you've tuned into that conversation that's coming yes. your way. And you're going you're going to react to it with authenticity. And if it's mm-hmm. taking control and and mm-hmm. just becoming bigger in the room, but, or whether it's slowing it down and the shorter sentences and let's take this a little bit at a time, it's still all from the same place. There should right. be. Yeah. And it all goes back to that beginning where you said, focus on your shoulders, take, do the breath work, center yourself. It's like, you know, exactly. Exactly. Get in that zone. Like you were saying. Um, Yeah. That's so incredibly important. And I think that is something that, um, you know, regardless of the situation that we're in, just come back to that moment and let that be your guide. Exactly. Good point. Let Mm. the moment be your guide. Love it. Yeah. Is there any, we, we've been going for 58 minutes now. We're, we're almost to the hour. Can you believe it? Oh my um, gosh. It feels like 10 I know, minutes. right? <laughs> we could just, How do we do this? Going on forever. This is such a fun conversation and I've gotten so much out of this conversation. Um, I didn't even have a chance to ask you about your business that you created, you know, your, your company that you created. So can you say a little bit about your company, uh, what you're doing with it? Anybody who is interested in doing this type of work, how do they contact you? All of those things. Well, my little service is called Vosat Better Broadcast Voices, Vosat, V-O-S-O-T, which is broadcast shorthand for voiceover sound on tape. It's when an anchor reads a story She didn't write it. The reporter who covered the story did, but she wrote it for the anchor and it might include a cut from somebody at the story. So that's voiceover sound on tape, Mm -hmm. which thinking that I would be working primarily with broadcasters, if you know what Vosat means, ha ha, it's cute. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, whether I work with speakers or uh, students, uh, Vosat, now you know a little bit of broadcast shorthand. So it's um, SusanMurphyVosat.com is my website. And you can also find me at LinkedIn, just Google, not Google, but go to LinkedIn, Susan Murphy voice coach. There are a lot of Susan Murphy's on, on LinkedIn. So it's easy to find me, easy to find me. That's awesome. And I'll make sure to have all of that information in the show notes for anyone who uh, really wants to be able to contact you. A couple of Last and, and final thoughts, you know, Lorinda says that she is going to prepare herself. So uh, she's going to try the things that we've been talking about. Great. She's good. Yes. Yes. You are correct. Lorinda. Susan is good. She's great. <laughs> I've been doing it a long time. That's all. <laughs> and I, and But I find, yes, I get paid for what I do. But to be honest with you, the psychological income... Like teaching, you know this, Jennifer, to watch Mm -hmm. the light bulbs go on, to watch the confidence bloom. Oh, come on. That's priceless. Oh, yeah. That's that's the most fulfilling thing ever Mm. when you know that you have been able to help someone Mm. get to a place where they feel like, man, I got this now. I got this. You can let go. I got this, right? (laughs) Right. You want to make yourself obsolete. You don't need me Mm. anymore. Yeah, that's right. right. Um, thank you again, Susan. This Jennifer, has been what a delight. Wonderful. Yeah, this I've so enjoyed this conversation. I don't want it to end. So we'll figure out a way to get together again. There are more <laughs> rabbit holes we can go down. There are more areas we can discuss. I'll be back anytime. Oh, yeah. There are so many avenues I want to go yes. down with you. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have to write down my notes. 
and we'll save it and, and do this again so that Love we can to. go down all those different rabbit holes. All right, everyone, that is it for today's edition of Communication 24-7. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, so I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your Monday. Happy Monday. Hope this was a great way to begin it. Have a great rest of your week. And just remember, take care of yourselves. Communication, mm -hmm. keep practicing it. It is a skill and we're all a work in progress. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Generate some passive income by launching your own online store today with Printful. Create and sell custom products online with easy print-on-demand drop shipping services. You can create an online store that sells a variety of high-quality products that range from coffee mugs to phone cases to jackets. Or you can even create your own unique apparel collection. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by clicking on the link in the show notes.